0: <laughs> Welcome to the orchard. We are glad you are here. Good morning. What a way to start off our service. Hey, I'm glad you have joined us today, whether you are online or here in person. And we're going to be talking about something a little difficult today. Have you ever trusted God in a situation and things just didn't go the way that you hoped? Ever prayed for God to heal either yourself or somebody else and it didn't happen? Ever ask God for help in a situation and he didn't get what you wanted? The question is, what happens to our faith when these things happen? Or, or what happens to our faith when, when tragedy strikes? Today we're asking some difficult questions about disappointment. And what do we do with our faith? And, and what about our prayers when they go unanswered? We're still in John 6. If you were here last week or you were with us, you know that Jesus has just fed, miraculously fed, over 20,000 people. We pick up in John 6, verse 15, we find this crowd, um, they have full bellies, and they have some plans for Jesus. They're so enamored with what Jesus can do for them that they decided they're going to make him king. They want to leverage Jesus politically to get the government they want. But look at Jesus' response in verse 15. When Jesus saw they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Jesus dips out of the scene. He's not here to be king of any nation. He's here to, to die and resurrect and sit on the throne in heaven and be king of kings. He's not done disappointing them, though. The crowd realizes that Jesus isn't with them. He, he realizes, they realize he's not there and they go looking for him and they ask him where he's been. Verse 26, Jesus says, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Jesus, knowing their hearts and minds, knows that they're following because he's meeting their needs. The signs that he's performing, signs point to someone. And they're less interested in the someone and more interested in the something that he's doing for them. They want what he's been giving them. They're less interested in who he is. You know, if you're a parent of, a, of young kids or you have been and you've ever been gone on a trip and you come home and the kids run up to see you, what's the first question children ask you? What did you bring me? Yeah, you had those moments, and you like, just want to say, me, how about you be? It's me. Like, the question, like, what did you bring me? I just got home, and my kids, or sorry, not my kids, they would never do this. Um, some kids, they're looking at what's in my hand, not what's in my heart. Uh, they, it seems like sometimes they're less concerned about my presence at home than if there's a present I'm hiding behind my back. But something happened this spring. That's right. This spring, we got a puppy, my, my first real puppy, and, and, and I, we got it for the kids, but I, I'm pretty sure I got it for myself, if I'm honest now at this point, I can tell. Um, but you know what happens when I come home now? It doesn't matter if I've been gone a year, a week, a day, or if I just went to the truck and came back. When I come in the door, our little puppy, Theo, drops whatever he's doing, and he runs over. He's not looking for a present or a treat. He's just glad I'm there. He's happy that I am home. And you know, it it, it strikes me when, when we come to God in prayer or when we go to church, we need to ask ourselves an important question. What are we more interested in? Do you want what's in God's hands or what's in God's heart? That's a very vital question. We're going to investigate this today about what we're more interested in. What's in God's hands? What can he give me? Or what's in his heart? Who is he? Another question. Are we more interested in God's presence, what he can offer us, or God's presence, who he is, that he is here? Jesus knows that the people, this crowd following him, he knows that they want him to to be king. Not because of who he is, not because of what's in his heart, but because of what's in his hands, what he can do for them politically. And they want to be near him because what he can do for them when they're hungry they want what's in his hands. They want, what, they want the bread he gives out, not the relationship that he's inviting them to. They're more interested in what they can get out of Jesus than who Jesus is. I don't know about you, but, but as I thought through this, I, I'm guilty of this at times. At times, I, I really want what's in Jesus' hands. I'm more interested in what's in his hands than what's in his heart. And I know this because sometimes, you ever had your prayer journal or your prayer time? It, it's the, my, my prayers sometimes are just full of praying for him to give me things or protect me from something. His hand of giving or his hand of protection, my prayers are just so full of that. And yes, we should take God our troubles to God and our needs to God, but when my prayers are only about what's in his hands, what he can do for me or what he can keep from me, it's an indication that, that I, where's my prayers about just pursuing his heart and who he is? At times, I've been more interested in what Jesus can do for me than what he wants to do in me. Now, there are times I'm more interested in what Jesus can do for me than even considering what I could do for him. This, this is one of those instances where I'm when I'm in this place, I'm choosing religion over relationship. I'm choosing a transaction of what's in his hand over a relationship with his heart. And I found a way to diagnose this when I'm in these places. There are times when Jesus hasn't come through like we wanted, or or let's be honest, when we wanted or how we wanted. He just didn't. We didn't get the diagnosis we wanted. We didn't get the promotion we wanted. We didn't get the the relationship we wanted. We didn't get that thing we've been praying for for so long. And because Jesus didn't come through for us in the way that we wanted, what happens? Our faith takes a hit, our faith gets shaken. Maybe we didn't get what we wanted, and it's, it's such a big hit to our faith that for some of us, we walk away from faith. Or walk away from the church. We walk away because we didn't get what we wanted from his hand. Maybe we didn't get what we wanted, and we didn't walk away from faith, but, but we're barely hanging on. You might be here today just because, give me something, something to hang on to because I'm losing it. I don't know about this. Or maybe our faith in God, it's still there, but it's, it's just weaker. It's smaller. Let's be honest. We had some disappointments with God and our faith, and so we've downgraded our faith so we can't be let down so big anymore. And right now, our prayers went from audacious big prayers of God, please, please do this, to maybe God bless this meal. That's about as much faith as we can muster that God would help us. If we're more interested in what God has in his hands than in his heart, if we're more interested in what God can do for us than who he is, then, then the reality is our faith is actually in what's in his hands, what he can do for us, what he can protect us from. Our faith is in what he would give us. Our faith, our faith is in how he would deliver us. Our faith is on how he would protect us, not in his heart. Our faith is in his hand. And so when he doesn't come through the way we wanted, when he doesn't come through the, uh, when we wanted when we're not protected the way we we wanted, if our faith is in his hands, then our faith can crumble. So let's pause for a second and ask some questions. Where is it in the past, in your life, that God didn't come through for you in the way that you wanted? He didn't come through for you in the way that you'd hoped. And and the, the disappointment with that, it's crushing. It's real. I had so much faith that God would do this. And it's a crushing reality when it didn't happen. The effect on our, What effect did it have on your faith? Think back to some of those times. What effect did that have on your faith? Did you maybe walk away? Did you maybe downgrade your faith? Where in your life right now are you asking God to come through? You're asking him to come through for a healing or for a helping or for some protection. And it hasn't happened yet the way you wanted. How's your faith responding to that? What effect has that had on your hope? How do we continue to have faith in God when God doesn't come through the way we want it? It's a big question. How do we continue to continue on in hope when God's not giving us what we hope for? I know there's some of you who are in here thinking, Pastor, if you just have enough faith, God will do it. I know some people, and maybe you're one of them, who, who you prayed for somebody or some healing. You prayed in f- all the faith you could muster, and it didn't happen. And you were told if you'd had more faith, it would have happened. And I'm sorry you were told that. Well, we learned two weeks ago about a healing at the, church, the pool of Bethesda. Jesus heals a man who has zero faith in him. And we've probably learned in our own lives that there are times, there's been times where we've engaged our faith, engaged our prayers, engaged our hope in Jesus, and it just didn't happen. I mean, if loving God and having faith made our prayers come true, then no believer would would ever get sick. No believer would ever be poor or have a flat tire, and no believer would ever die. In fact, if if faithful Christians, if that was the truth, that if you, the faithful Christians would be the healthiest and the wealthiest and the longest living people on earth who wouldn't face suffering, who wouldn't face surprise tragedy, and who wouldn't face hardship. But our own experience tells us that's not true, right? And then we look to God's Word and we see faithful followers of Jesus who face incredible hardship, incredible suffering, incredible poverty, and then some of them are martyred in terrible ways. So we have to ask, what happens? What happens to our faith? What happens to our hope when God doesn't come through the way we want it? Jesus is surrounded by a crowd of people who are focused on what's in his hand. He did have bread in his hand, didn't he? And healing in his hands and teachings. There's focused on what's in his hand. And and Jesus, instead of performing the miracle that they want, he actually does the opposite here in John 6. They want bread, so he starts to talk about bread. Verse 25, they found him on the other side of the lake. They asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And he answered, truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, but not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then the crowd asked, what must we do to do the work, the works God requires? Verse 29, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Faith in the one he has sent. Faith is about a someone, not a something you get. We are to pursue God's heart, not his hand. We're to pursue a relationship, not interface with the religion. So they ask him, what sign then will you give that we may be able to believe you? That we may see it. What sign would you give that we could see it and believe? Like, yeah, it hasn't done enough already? And then they say, what will you do? Like, impress us. What will you do? Our ancestors... uh, (laughs) Jesus, if you know your Bible, our ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. This is almost like they're talking to a magician. Like, pull something out of your robe for us. Let's see something. And what are you going to do to prove yourself, Jesus? You know, speaking of bread, Jesus, you know Moses, he got, he got manna from heaven. Uh, when they were in the wilderness. And, and Jesus, it's been a while since you did that feeding of the 5,000, 20,000 we're all here and we could use some bread. I mean, they're, they're, Jesus, show us what you got. Come through for us. Do it. Jesus goes on in this chapter from this point on to discuss who the real bread of heaven is. They're talking about bread of heaven as manna. They wanted manna from heaven. Jesus declares that he is the bread from heaven, he's the real bread from heaven. 47, very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. It's one of seven I am statements from Jesus. We're going to look at those later. He says, I am the bread of life. You're asking for bread? I'm the bread of life. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which, will give, which I will give for the life of the world. Remember, this is a crowd of over 20,000, a huge gathering, a huge congregation. Jesus' ministry is successful. I don't even know if you know this, but in church world, 20,000 people, people—that they call that a megachurch. And Jesus has grown this ministry to over 20,000. And, and, you know, I've taken classes on church growth. I've been to conferences on church growth. At New Orleans Theological, Theological Seminary, I've taken preaching classes on how to be a better preacher. You know, you gotta, it's good if you use a personal story. Three points with the same beginning letter. And if something rhymes, it's probably from Jesus. I mean, like there's certain things you do as a preacher. Do you know what I never heard any professor or any church growth specialist tell me? When you grow your ministry to a large size, get it as big as you can. And on your biggest Sunday, when they're all gathered around, You preach the hardest, most difficult message, the most shocking message you can so that most, 95% of them will leave your church and vow never to come back. I've never heard that in any church growth or preaching class. And yet Jesus, that's what he does. He's looking out at a crowd who wants to know what they can get out of him. Politically, they want to leverage him physically they want, they want him to provide for their needs of food and, and give us a show, give us a meal and a show, Jesus. They're there because they want to know what they can get out of him. They want to see cool miracles. They're hungry and they want some bread. And Jesus pulls this sermon out. He tells them, you want bread? You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood to be saved. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, they had no idea what communion was to know what even he was referring to. Can you imagine the slack-jawed responses of those people? Like, hey, give us some bread. You know, Moses gave us bread, and we're here we are, we're hungry. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What? <laughs> the crowd came looking for bread. And he said, I'm the bread you have to eat and they said that's not the bread we want. We're out of here. And at this moment, most of the people following Jesus deserted him and left. They leave. But it's interesting to see why they leave and who exactly leaves. It's important to look at these things. Why did they leave and who left? Of course, of course the big crowd leaves, right? They're following Jesus to get the dinner and a the show. They want the food, they want the fun. He spoke a really tough sermon. They wanted some bread, and he told them they, they had to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Whew. That's not what we wanted, Jesus. So they, the ones that showed up and wanted what was in his hand, they went back to their old life. They were disappointed that he didn't do for them like they wanted. He didn't come through for them in the way they wanted, so they were done. But look at who else left, verse 60. On hearing Jesus' words, many of his disciples they said this is a hard teaching like yeah who can accept it verse 66 at this point many of his disciples turned away and deserted him many of his disciples turned away and deserted him see here's and you got to catch this on top of the crowds the vast number of people along for the for the meal and the miracles There's a growing number of disciples who are deciding to follow Jesus. This is not just the 12 he personally chose. He's not talking about the 12 disciples that he chose. There's a growing number, maybe hundreds. At times there's 72. There's different numbers. Who knows how many at this instance, but there's maybe hundreds of people who said, I'm following Jesus. I'm with you. I'm with you You know, because of his teachings and his miracles and his signs and all the things that he did. I'm with you. I'm a a disciple now. We know the 12 disciples decided, we know the 12 disciples, they stayed with him. But Jesus gives the sermon so difficult that there are people who vowed to follow him who left. They leave with the crowd. And this shows us something important this morning I want us to catch. Even people who called themselves disciples were still more concerned about what they could get from Jesus than who Jesus was. Because in this instance, they got something they didn't like. And that was it. They thought they were followers. But it turns out they were just fans of good teaching and good times. And when it got hard, it was over. These disciples at one point maybe came down an aisle made a decision, made a declaration, but in, we find out there are more emotion than devotion. It didn't feel good anymore. That last sermon didn't feel good. Uh, they were disappointed in what he said and what he gave them. You see, they had Jesus in a religious box. These, some of these disciples who abandoned Jesus, they, they do what a lot of other people do, not us. They go to the spiritual buffet of the Bible and they go, ooh, love, Mmm. Forgiveness, holiness— <laughs> a little too spicy for me. Sin, no, let's not tell. Let's, let's, you know, they—they I mean, they got what they liked, and then Jesus had a teaching that—that that was outside of their nice little box of what they had accepted, what they wanted to follow, and they didn't want any more of that. They were disappointed in what He had given them. I think this is something that we need to wrestle with, as a culture and as people. That when we hear a truth that is a hard truth that Jesus said, but it doesn't fit into the nice sweet box that we've decided we're going to be a disciple of, how does our faith respond? These disciples that left here, they had an expectation of Jesus to come through for them and say the right thing, and then he speaks some truth that they, and they were done. When truth was proclaimed that they didn't feel good, that was it. What happens when we are disappointed in God? What happens when we are disappointed that we don't get what we want? What happens when we're disappointed he didn't protect us? Have you ever said like, "How could you let that happen?" I've screamed that out. I have screamed that out at the top of my lungs in rage. "How could you let it happen?" And I've also said, "I did it all right. I did it right. How could you do that?" What happens when we're confronted that we're more interested in his hand his heart. See what happened here is it, it revealed for the crowds and these disciples that they had a transactional faith. It was a transaction. Transactions like this God, I do what you want, and you do what I want. God, I'll do what you want, and you do what I want. And we never verbalize that, but if you've ever, like me, said, How could you let that happen? then you've been living it. See, I, I, I do the things that you like. I, I say I'm your disciple, and, and you do and say the things that I like. Or the crowd. I follow you, and, and, then, and then you meet my needs. I go to church, I pray, I read the Bible-ish, and, and you protect me. See, they, 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 they said, I do what Jesus wants, and he does what I want, until he didn't. And the transactional faith was broken. I deal with this in my own life. I deal with this. When when, when something doesn't go my way or he didn't come through how I'd hoped or something bad happens, like I pray, I go to church, I'm a preacher. I stay away from the big bad sins. Yeah, 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 I had nothing to do. And you, Jesus, you you keep my family safe. That's the deal we had. You keep my family safe. You, You keep tragedy away from me. And nothing too crazy or surprising. This is much more pervasive than I think we'd like to admit. It's a a bargain that we strike with God. We do the things he likes and then he keeps the things we don't like from us. Listen, transactional faith. We perform, he protects. We perform, do the right things and he protects and provides. The problem is, When that paradigm is broken, when the bargain that we made, he didn't agree to, when that's broken, our faith can be shattered. How could you let that happen? I was doing it all right. The crowds, they wanted a king. They wanted to leverage Jesus politically. They they wanted some bread. He didn't give it to them, so they left. The disciples, who wanted an easier, more palatable, palatable religion, When they didn't get it, they left. Those that were there for the the, the miracles and the feel goods didn't feel so good. They left. But there was a small group there left with Jesus. Verse 66 At this point, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. And then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, Are you also going to leave? What a moment. Can you imagine being one of these 12 disciples? You've just watched Jesus grow our ministry from 20,000 to 12. Like he just lost the title as the most popular preacher in the nation in one sermon. Do you guys see the pressure I'm under here? You have no idea. (laughs) He turns around to 12 people who he talks to, his closest. They've been with him for two years. And here's 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 what I do. I put myself in this story. I'm there. I'm one of the 12. But I start with the sermon. The, the crowds approach and they're listening and they're kind of it says they're grumbling. The crowd's grumbling about these things and prove it, Jesus. And then and then I'm sitting there watching. And I've seen Jesus getting um, you know, he's gotten, there's people that have debated him before, and he always just says the, the right thing. It seems, or but sometimes it gets a little awkward, but now I begin to, he begins to talk about eating his his flesh. I'm looking over at the other disciples, like, what? Drinking his blood. I'm scanning the crowd to see the reaction. Have you ever taken a guest to church with you, and the preacher like has some some sermon? You're like, oh no! Can you imagine bringing your guest to this sermon with Jesus about the yeah? So so I'm sitting there, I'm watching the crowd because I'm one of the disciples. I'm, I'm I'm gauging the reaction, and I'm I'm seeing what what is Jesus? I'm starting to cringe. Like oh, this isn't going well. Jesus, look at their faces. It's. Really, not going well. I imagine I imagine wondering, Jesus, what are you thinking? What are you doing, Jesus? I can see the, the scrunched up faces, like the, ooh, of those indifferent people of the crowd who are just here for the, they have their hand out for the bread, and they're like, oh, oh no, we're not here for that. We just showed up for a miracle and some, some bread for a performance. The magic show is over, and so I watch as the crowd leaves the magician, you know? And then I see the faces faces of those disciples who had joined us at some other later date. Somewhere along the way, they they had walked down the aisle or they had claimed, I'm in, Jesus. They loved his teachings. They loved being close. They declared they would follow him no matter what. But I watched their faces as they are shocked at what he's saying. And then crestfallen, disappointment. They heard something they did not like. It was nice and maybe easy religion, but that's some hard teaching. They wanted the easy path to follow, but this sounds like a narrow path. I could see them recoil. They, they love the sermons that Jesus speaks about the kingdom of heaven and love, but, but, but these kind of things, holiness and sin, and I don't know about this. I can see the, the disappointment. And some of the disgust is these disciples walk away and then there's 13 of us in a circle and a stunned silence. I'm not talking first and not even Peter talks first. We're just wondering what do we do now? Where do you go from here? And then Jesus turns and says, what about you? Are you going to leave too? Peter's answer is one one of my favorite verses. Verse 68, Lord, To whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. Can I tell you what I love most about this answer? Peter didn't answer where they would go. Another church, another religion, another path, another teacher. He didn't answer where they would go. He says, to whom would we go? Peter reveals something, and I believe what he's revealing here is the secret to having faith as a disciple that when life gets hard, when tragedy hits, when the unexpected happens, when you don't get what you want, when disappointment hits, that you can have faith that perseveres. Peter reveals that he's not devoted to a religion. He's in a relationship. Peter reveals that he's not following some program. He's following a person He says, you have the words that give eternal life. Jesus, you are the source. You have it. You are the source. To whom else would we go? Peter answered, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words for eternal life. And the next verse reveals even more. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. He says that he's come to know who Jesus is. You see, his faith is in Jesus. His faith is not in the miracles or the lack thereof. His faith isn't in, the, in in a religion fitting into a box and not saying anything or too hard of a truth or whatever. His faith isn't in circumstances and they have to kind of go my way or, or God has to protect me or He needs to heal me or or, or He needs to come through for me or Jesus needs to, to protect me. His faith isn't in any of that. His faith is in one place and it's not a something and it's not a somewhere. It's not a building. It's not a it's in a person. It's in a someone. It's Jesus. It's who Jesus is. Not what he does. Not what he didn't do. Simply who he is. All the others walked away because of something they did not like or some disappointment because they did not receive what they wanted. And that reveals their faith wasn't in Jesus, it was in something else, it was in his hand. He was supposed to come through. He wasn't supposed to say that. He was supposed to fit in. Whatever it was, it wasn't in Jesus, it was in religion, of what they thought a man made Jesus should do for them. The crowds, the crowd, they liked to be near Jesus for the prosperity. He gave them something. He gave them something. The disciples who left, they liked being they liked being a part of it because they liked the proximity. They liked being close to Jesus. Some like the prosperity, some like the, pros, the proximity, but the disciples, they stayed with Jesus because of identity. Not what they could get out of, not because it felt good to be close because it, it didn't feel too good there. It was because of identity. It was who he was. And when it comes to Christianity, some people like the benefits, the prosperity of Christianity, the feel goods, the bennies. Some people like being on the inside. But for those whose faith is gonna stand firm, they're following based on identity the identity of Jesus and who he is. I have come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. That's why I'm not leaving because of who you are, Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't come to to start a religion based on transactions that you do this and I do that. He came to offer a relationship where we get to know him, to know his heart. He didn't come to, to just offer us his hand. He wants us to know his heart. Because, see, when life falls to pieces, when illness hits, when tragedy happens, or when businesses fail, when marriages fail, when life fails, people wonder why you don't walk away. It's because you say, well, to whom else would I go? My faith isn't based on my circumstances. I didn't come to faith in Jesus based on circumstances. To whom else would I go when things get hard? He has the words of eternal life. And I have come to believe and know that he is Jesus, the Holy One of God. And that's where my faith is, despite my circumstances. And even when things don't go my way, it doesn't change who Jesus is. And even when the healing maybe doesn't happen the way or when I wanted, it doesn't change who Jesus is. And maybe when the, the tragedy hits our lives and our that thought was not supposed to happen, it doesn't change who Jesus is. When the, when the circumstances, the marriage, the relationship, the finances crumble, it doesn't change who Jesus is. Even when I suffer and I go through hardship, it doesn't change who Jesus is. If you want faith that will sustain you through whatever life will bring you, it can't be based on what Jesus could do for you Or a transaction that he's going to protect you if you do the right thing. It has to be based on who he is. This next part's going to be pretty hard for me. So give me some grace. Um, My wife Amy has actually given me a great perspective on this. On having faith in Jesus even when he doesn't come through for you the way that you wanted him to. Even when he doesn't protect your life the way that you thought He should have. It's a lesson that Amy has learned at a high cost to herself. She's given me permission to to share this. We've talked before about this. You see, before I knew her, Amy was married previously to a great man. And they lived in Aspen, and they they were both in the business of helping people, counselors, and life was good. And then she got the call that he had been in a tragic and terrible ski accident. And when she finally arrived at the hospital, they told her the full extent of the injuries and that he was only alive because of the machine and that there would be no recovery. When she heard heard that, she made everybody leave the room. Everyone. And she crawled up in bed next to him to lay next to him, one last time. And there in that bed, she prayed with all the faith that she had. She prayed and she prayed those those intense prayers of faith and hope that he would just sit up and go, hey, what's what's all this? That prayer that, that it would all be a bad dream and that he would wake up and it would be okay. She engaged her faith in such a way, all of her faith, all of her hope, there in that bed, at that moment, praying that he would... He would be healed. And when he breathed his last, her hope died as well. You see, God didn't come through for her despite her faith being fully engaged. To say that there was disappointment is an understatement. Her, her world was shattered, her hopes and her, her life uh, goals for the dreams ahead were, were gone. A devastating blow to her heart and her mind and her, her everything. But despite all this, her faith in God held strong. Even with her hope gone, her faith her faith in Jesus said that God is still God. even she said, even with her, her present and her future just shattered. Her faith knew that God was still good. And it revealed something about Amy, that her faith wasn't in the hand of Jesus, what he could do for her, that he had to come through for her, that he had to protect her, that that there was some kind of agreement that she did this and so he had to do this. What revealed there in that hospital room is that her faith was in the person of Jesus Christ. And I I gotta tell you, I want a faith more like that. A faith that says no matter what happens, I know you're God. I know you're, I know you're good because my faith isn't in what you can do for me. My faith isn't in what you can protect me from. My faith is simply in who you are, Jesus. And even in, in, up to this day, she walks in amazing faith because she's experienced intense loss. And through it all, she's clinging to God's heart. I want a faith like that, a faith that is in who, not what. A faith that is in someone, not the something I can get out of it. And in the end, it's faith in Jesus alone and above all that matters most. Jesus above all things. We don't pray because we want to to make a deal or manipulate God. We pray because we love him and we want to know him better. We pray to someone, which means we don't just speak at. We speak with, we listen, we discuss, we take our troubles, but also we want to know him better. So prayer takes on a different form when you're seeking the heart of God, not the hand of God. We, when we pray or when we read God's word, we don't, we don't do it to get a star chart or just get a nugget for the day. We read God's word because it reveals his nature, and we want to know him and because he has the words of eternal life. And they were written down. We pursue God because, because of his heart, not because of his hand. And today my prayer, my prayer for today is that through all this, that our faith would be revealed. And that many of, many of us listening today, it would be, you would be convicted like I was, that I have had a transactional faith. A religious agreement with Jesus that I do these things and then you protect me. And then my prayers are full of of asking for the hand and not pursuing the heart. My prayer, I pray this as a church that we we, we come to have our faith in Jesus and who He is so that when life gets hard, we don't walk away. Because we're not walking away from Him, we're walking away from a religion or an agreement or a transaction. So God, I pray you forgive us today where we're like the crowd who who placed cultural issues above you because Jesus, you don't fit under any political banner. You are above every banner. So forgive us where we have tried to leverage you for our political gain, like the crowd. Forgive us where we are like the crowd that only wants to get something out of you Forgive us where we're like those disciples who who left because there's truth that you speak that doesn't fit into our nice box. And God, may you reveal your heart to us. I pray that we as the orchard would see your heart and we would pursue you in a new way. Forgive us for pursuing your hand. We want to know your heart. And Jesus, we want to place our faith in you and who you are. And so, Orchard, if, you, if this is your prayer, would you place your hand over your heart and pray this with me? It's on the screen. Let's pray this together. This is, this is what Peter said. We're gonna pray it personally, what Peter said. Jesus, to whom else would I go? You have the words that give eternal life. I have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. As we go into communion. If you have communion, I want you to take it right here and get the bread. And if you would, once you get that, if you would hold it up. In that sermon, they didn't know what Jesus was talking about. We talked about his his body and his blood, but we do. Jesus is, and just so you know, whether you're at home or you're here and you don't have this, you can take communion any time you want on your own as a family, as a couple. You don't need anybody else. So Jesus's body on the cross was raised up and it was broken. Jesus, thank you. Take and eat. The blood of Jesus And Jesus, we are so thankful for your sacrifice and your blood shed on the cross for us, for a new covenant, access to you, the Son of God, for our forgiveness and our healing. Take and drink. As we go into worship, this next song, I want you to sing it not as a song, sing it as a prayer. This next song is a prayer that you have committed to follow Jesus because of who he is, regardless of other circumstances. And if no one else go, if all the crowds leave, if everyone else leaves, if, if no one else would follow, you would. So would you stand with me? And let's like our hearts.